welcome to Febrile, a cultured podcast about all things infectious disease. We use consult questions to dive into ID, clinical reasoning, diagnostics, and antimicrobial management. I'm Sarah Dong, your host. I am still bringing you some live podcast episodes that were recorded this month in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. As I mentioned in our last episode, number 86, these were recorded at the World Antimicrobial Resistance Awareness Week Forum held and organized by the Saudi Pediatric Infectious Disease Society in collaboration with Febrile and the King Abdulaziz Public Library. So please make sure you check out the first episode, which was on uh, multi-drug resistant, difficult to treat pseudomonas. I realized I did not record a summary of some of the key points from the last episode, so I'll just add them in here. So these will be a refresher if you've already listened or a sneak peek if you are going to go back and check out episode 86. We talked a little bit about multi-drug resistant and difficult to treat resistant Pseudomonas aeruginosa. As a reminder, the mechanisms of resistance in pseudomonas are quite complex and often can involve a variety of mechanisms. Some of those may be decreased expression of outer membrane porins, increased production of or amino acid substitutions within pseudomonas-derived cephalosporinase enzymes, also sometimes known as pseudomonas or pseudomonal AMPC enzymes. You can have upregulation of efflux pumps, mutations in penicillin-binding protein targets, and presence of ESBLs. We talked a little bit about the global epidemiology of carbapenemase production, specifically in carbapenem-resistant pseudomonas, as well as how to approach some of the treatment options that are available to you. All right, now back to episode two. We are here with two new guests. Could I ask you both to give a quick introduction to tell the audience who you are? Welcome, uh, everybody. I'm Dr. Fatma Shahrani. As uh, I was introduced, I'm a consultant in infectious disease in uh, King Khalid University Hospital. I'm also an assistant uh, professor uh, in the College of Medicine, King Saud University, and I'm the di- director of uh, infection prevention and control and antimicrobial in the uh, King Saud University uh, Medical City. And uh, I'm happy joining uh, this conference today. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, I'm Dr. Abdullah, PSA, Infectious Disease Clinical Pharmacy Consultant at King Faisal Specialist Hospital and Research uh, Center. Uh, like it was been introduced, I finished my fellowship from the Ohio State University. That was probably a long time ago. I don't want to mention the date. Just <laughs> <laughs> long time ago. However, currently I'm Infectious Disease Clinical Pharmacy Consultant at King Faisal Specialist Hospital. I'm the program director of infectious disease uh, residency uh, in our center. Great. And sort of just to break the ice, we like to ask a casual question. Febrile is Everett's favorite culture podcast. So I was wondering if you could share a little piece of culture or something non-medical that you've enjoyed recently. Um, I personally enjoy uh, walking uh, at night and uh, I enjoy swimming. And uh, I like also to travel from time to time mm-hmm. to change the weather. I like also to listen to music and sometimes I sing alone in the car. <laughs> Nobody is listening. <laughs> and uh, I like to spend time with my kids playing and fighting with them. Uh, and uh, I like any, doing uh, extra curriculum activities. Love it. Great. How about you? Okay. Yeah. Uh, for me, I like reading usually. Okay. Sometimes, I mean, although, it's, although it's difficult nowadays to read uh, because we're very busy. How about uh, something I usually 
know, try some sometime you know, to just to read. Uh, trouble, especially with my kids and their family, because I don't see them a lot. So that's probably the only chance where we can be to, together. I'm sure all of us have the same, probably. Sometimes I'd like to just to sit down with my kids uh, during the weekend and uh, just enjoy time with them. That's what I usually do. And the family, the, the big family, our family. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, today we are back with a different console question for case two. Please assist in the management of infection with Acinetobacter. Uh, so we're going to meet a 10-year-old who has a history of leukemia, is currently on chemotherapy, and is in the ICU. So the intensive care unit team lets you know that the acinetobacter isolate that they had reported appears to be crab or carbapenem-resistant acinetobacter baumannii, um, which is miropenem resistant and it only shows susceptibility to ampicillin sulbactam and minocycline. So let's say that this culture was from an endotracheal tube aspirate. How would you treat and approach it? Um, first of all, as an uh, infectious disease consultant, um, we need to check, is it a real infection or is it a colonization? So, uh, especially for the respiratory uh, samples and also for the skin swabs or wound uh, cultures. And uh, sometimes it's not that easy to distinguish between both. And uh, we need really to check on the patient status. Uh, so if the patient is uh, having, for example, immunocompromised status, he's different than an immunocompetent uh, patient. And uh, is this sample coming from a sterile site or from a non-sterile site? So we need to check on the clinical status of the patient also. We need to check if the patient is febrile, uh, about his inflammatory markers, and also we need to check for his uh, white blood uh, cells count uh, and differential, and also um, if there is any abnormal imaging to guide us in the uh, clinical picture. Uh, usually treatment is warranted only for the true infections, not for colonization. And uh, we need also to, c to consider if the patient is having a device uh, which can also be related to this uh, infection. And uh, part of uh, management is to remove the uh, device if, if it's available, if it's there. Uh, for example, in the catheter-related or uh, bloodstream infections. Um, uh, this is in general. Yeah, I totally agree. It's very challenging in some patients, particularly ICU patients, to sometimes know if it's colonization or true infection. If I would just add uh, something, Council. Usually we have to go to the hysteria patients also. If the patient is coming from an area where a crab is very common, so we have to consider that in, mm -hmm. in the management of patients, whether to consider this is colonization or, or treatment. At the same time, if the patient received any antibiotics before, we have to look into that also. What did he receive? What did the patient receive? Uh, this would probably target our uh, treatment if needed. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say our patient actually is stable from a respiratory standpoint. If anything, the ventilatory settings are improving. The nurse tells you that the patient also has not had issues with persistent secretions or worsening secretions. But, you know, the episode is not going to end here. I'm not going to let us finish that quickly. Those susceptibility results are actually from two consecutive blood cultures instead. So what now? How do you approach this, uh, these results with this new information? 
Um, the source control is a must uh, for such a case. So if there is a deep bias, it should be removed. And we need to check on the whole picture of the patient. Maybe he's having a collection also, which can be part of the picture. And maybe he's having uh, something that needs to be drained um, as a, a pus or a, a collection uh, in, in his body. About treatment, there is no clear standard care uh, regimen, uh, but we need uh, to use based on the susceptibility if it's uh, available. Uh, we can give the patient uh, the best treatment option. Um. And so can ampicillin and sulbactam resistance and acinetobacter be predicted accurately with disc diffusion? First of all, uh, disc diffusion and dose calorie inhalation are uh, acceptable by CSI for the detection of susceptibility, clinical to susceptibility, by CSI and neocast. However, when you look into the clinical studies, when you look into real and real life, Okay, so what there is about uh, to be some uh, uh, rate or okay, we need to do this diffusion also uh, eat us. So probably this is not really recommended in this case. Yeah. Um, and so just kind of going back to, you know, you mentioned that there's not a clear standard of care regimen, but uh what do we do when we're trying to do combination therapy for treatment of crab? What are combinations or agents that might be available to us? Uh, previously, uh, we used to see uh, a lot of debates uh, between using colistin, using colistin plus meropenem, uh, and now uh, with the uh, new medications coming up, and also uh, on the nature of the uh, crab now, uh, the combination um, based on clinical trial studies, uh, well, there was two big uh, randomized controlled studies that showed that the um, uh, com combination uh, was not uh, superior to, to monotherapy of uh, colistin alone uh, for such uh, uh, organism. Um, this is about the past. Now uh, we have uh, the salbactam, and uh, it's recommended to have a higher dose of salbactam plus uh, other agents, uh, other uh, two agents. Uh, usually it's preferred to be uh, given. And uh, the higher dose of salbactam given a benefit of uh, uh, saturating salbactam uh, protein binding uh, protein uh, target. And this is the, the, the area of strength for this uh, medication. Uh, this is uh, the recommendation now is to, to use the uh, combination better than having uh, a monotherapy. And there is also other uh, medications that can be used like uh, minocycline, uh, tigecycline, uh, cividricol, and uh, other medications uh, that can be used, but it's not that recommended based on the studies like uh, phosphomycin and uh, rifampicin. And also a higher dose of extended infusion of carbapenem didn't have any benefit in two clinical trials, which was the, the clinical practice previously. It was also shown that some, 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 like some experts are using the nebulizers, but it's shown that it has a concern regarding unequal distribution in the lung. And also it can give potential complications like bronchoconstriction. Uh, so it's not that uh, recommended. Well, taking us a little bit of a step back, can you tell us a little bit about the mechanisms of carbapenem resistance and acinetobacter specifically? Looking into the mechanism of resistance, uh, mechanism of resistance general, okay, again, it's acinetobacter, okay, very catchy for 
non-carbonates, uh, and it, it could you include also carbonates in activation of the antibiotic. That's one of the bioavailabilities, hydrolysis. That's one thing. However, when we look into carbonates, carbonates, okay, that's why it's very difficult to manage nowadays. We have OXA production, which is usually OXA, probably OXA 23, OXA 40, OXA 24. Okay, that's really concerning. That's why our options are very uh, limited. That's probably we have to, probably when we, when we look into this OXA production, we have to look at the, okay, the area or the region. OXA 23, probably it's, it's very common in the United States and other countries. However, in our country, it's not that common. So we have to look into probably support eight, which is very common in our country. Also, the other mechanism is is uh, MBL uh, producing. That's something we have to we have to probably consider, especially with acetobacter derived superspiralinase, uh, which is something probably uh, limiting our our options. Also, um, I was at the ID week. Uh, that was probably in, in, in Boston a few, few weeks ago. And they took the studies lived into them in DM, in DM, and it's probably one of the things that we should probably consider. So doing CAVR is probably CAVR, okay, is probably going to, to help to look into the genes. If this is in DM, treatment is different, okay. If this is also acceptable, treatment is, is probably different. So that's something we have to consider. Subvectown, just like the Dr. Patron already mentioned, the subvectown is, is probably nowadays is a cornerstone of the treatment of, of uh, Asnitu, Asnitu Bacter. It's not an e-drug, it's, it's very old drug. However, it's, it has, it's usually susceptible. Susceptible against central antibiotics, central microorganisms, including Asnitu Bacter. However, nowadays we have seen resistance against subvectown. It's not really clear. Uh, why do we have uh, resistance against it? It's not really uh, okay, clear. But well, we think it's, it's targeting beta-rectamines uh, uh, one and and uh, and uh, three. Uh, that's why I think uh, we have to we have to go with just like the bottom mentioned. We have to go with higher higher doses with ambicillins and Bactam. And there are uh, in clinical trials, okay, other uh, antibiotics combined with with Bactam like ceftriaxone, Bactam. Zero bar, zero, zero bar back time, which is, which is a new, I hope I pronounced it very <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another, okay. So that's something we will probably see in the near future, okay. A combination of subvectants. Hopefully it will probably uh, tackle an antimicrobial resistance of crown. Yeah. Uh, I would just want to mention that the sulbactam resistant is also raising now uh, in the uh, U.S. Uh, and uh, the resistant uh, is not uh, really completely understood uh, and it appears to be driven by the mutation targeting the protein binding, uh, the penicillin binding protein uh, and also the beta relaxivase production that can contribute to the resistant. Yeah. Um, so we can't forget about our patient. We'll head back and check in. So this patient does have a central venous line and the ICU is able to remove this and is sort of given that push to do so because the bacteria, bacteremia was ongoing. The patient has now cleared their blood cultures and are clinically improved. So what do we do now? Do we stick with combination therapy? Are there adjustments that we could make now that the patient is better and has negative blood cultures? Uh, this is uh, usually the thing that we think uh, about when we see the patient is uh, improving. 
it's it's good to de-escalate, uh, but it all uh, depends on the patient uh, status. If uh, depend on the patient status and the source control also, if it's controlled, uh, and also the clinical situation. Uh, sometimes the situation is mandating the prolongation of the therapy. Like if the patient is having endocarditis or osteomyelitis, they will need to have a prolonged course of therapy. Sometimes if, if we can, we can step down to a single agent or even oral agent at the end of treatment uh, if the patient is in need for uh, that. Uh, for example, minocytin can be given if we have um, a bone infection or smolitis, for example, or in case of non-invasive uh, infection, patient improving. Are there any other pieces that you guys could educate us about as far as the other drug options? We focused a bit on uh, Amsulbactam, but any other antimicrobial treatment options in general that we should think about and talk about? If we look at, if we look at the options right now uh, in the market, we have colostin. Okay, Winamixin B, which is probably limited, okay, although it's much better than 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 Kilistin now, but it's very limited, okay, it's not really something we probably we probably have, uh, what we have right now is Kilistin, and also I, I, I still believe, and this is based on that, we are underdosing uh, Kilistin, so that's one option is Kilistin, but it cannot be given alone, we have to go to a minute, just like Dr. Papa already mentioned, okay, so that's one option. Second option is Melocycline. Which is very interesting, interesting drug. It's very old drug. It's not a new drug. It comes in all, at least in our in our region. Uh, I know that it's available in IB and in the states. So that's something is it's very interesting too as a as a combination. Tigacycline uh, is another drug. It's available readily available everywhere. But we have to look into the MIC of tigacycline also in, in order to okay to come up with the right dose. And you have to go with higher doses of ticocycline. We don't really go with, with usual, usual doses. And most of, at least in our region, our region, as far as I know, most of our patients that come with, with either bacteria or pneumonia, and ticocycline is not really recommended in such, uh, such patients. So in this case, we have to go with 200 milligrams and go with, okay, 200 milligrams and also 100 milligrams as, as a maintenance therapy. And at the same time, we have to look at them when I see it's optimal to go with ticocycline to uh, less than two. And in pneumonia patients, it has to be less than one to buy. However, in real, in real life, this is not something we've we able to, to see here. Okay. When you see carbogenum-resistant, sinitobacter, uh, it's usually resistant to all, including it could be susceptible to ticocycline, but the MIC is, is high, it's probably less than, less than two. So in this case, we have to go with higher dose. Another option is, is um, is uh, also a secondary coil, okay? Well, I said coil is not is not uh, option to be given at all. Um, if you look at uh, CLSI, okay, AOCAST, okay, and FDA, they have different breakpoints, so we don't have a standard breakpoint of uh, coil. Uh, that's why it's very uh, difficult to go. And also looking into the susceptibility, it's not really uh, okay. Something well known can be susceptibility to spitting core. So it's it's an option. It's a last it's last option, last result. Okay, but it is also uh, it can be given uh, with with uh, probably on the second vector. Another option is uh, which is not really something aerobacycline or aerobacycline. Recently approved. Okay, we don't have. We don't have okay good experience of both of them in the treatment of the crowd. 
Uh, this is probably personal. It's, it's a drug we might probably uh, see in the future in the treatment of uh, crime in combination. Uh, we have to just watch it. And in B2, both are susceptible in B2. Uh, again, aminocycline, uh, the ID week, there are at least three studies that can do into aminocycline with the treatment of the crowd uh, in B2, in B2 data, and also in, in um, okay, uh, single centers observational studies. Uh, okay, amaryglycosides, okay, I know that amaryglycosides, okay, most of the densities we like to use amaryglycosides, believing that amaryglycosides. We don't really recommend to go with amaryglycosides for different reasons. One is toxicity, especially if you want to use with cholestein, where it could be the only option. Amicinocyloptam is just basically a protein our institution. And other institutions very difficult to get amicinocyloptam, so we might probably end up with, okay, such as if you're using, okay, using amicinocyloptam, associated with, okay, modifying enzyme, okay, 16S, also modifying enzyme, which is an atelier common basis. So resistance is high, okay. Chloroquinolones are not really recommended also to go with the chloroquinolones because they are close definitely. They are they are they have a mutation, so it's yeah, I think they are not really recommended to go with it. Thank you. Um and you know, we kind of skipped over this, but probably something important for us to mention is, you know, how common is crab in the world and and uh, we've kind of alluded to the fact that there's some um, differences depending on geography, but can you um, give us some insight into that? Uh, the global proportion of carbapenem is uh, resistant uh, to bacterial pneumoniae. Again, um, it's, it's varied between 30 and 80% uh, worldwide. And the highest is in Asia, uh, Eastern Europe, and Latin America. And the corresponding proportion of resistant in the U.S. ranging from 30% to 50%. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have exact uh, numbers in the Middle East. Antibiotic resistant is uh, mediated through complex mechanisms, as mentioned by Dr. Abdullah, intrinsic and also uh, acquired uh, beta-lactamase uh, abregulation of efflux pump and uh, also decrease the outer membrane uh, permeability and the antibiotic target site modification. Also, uh, the carbapenemase resistant is also uh, commonly associated with the horizontal transfer of the gene, coding uh, oxacelinase, oxa-2440 enzyme, and also the oxa-23 was found to be associated, and uh, it's important uh, uh, link to the resistant. So it's it's there and it's increasing, and yeah. uh, even the resistance to the uh, promising drugs is still uh, ongoing. Yeah. And Dr. Abdullah, before I have one final question, uh, anything else you want to add about the available uh, drug combinations or the the future of treatment for crab? Um. First of all, we have to go with combination. Okay. If you look at the IDSA guidance that was published recently. 2023, uh, they're prompted to go with combination treatment. So monotherapy is not an option uh, for crab. That's 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 one thing. Uh, combinations, if you'd like to go with combinations, okay. Meropenib, just like Dr. Patma mentioned, meropenib plus plus colistin uh, is not really it's not an, it's not an option at all. So we have to probably stop using uh, meropenib. Okay. So we have to look into into other other options. 
One of the combinations that is not really well studied, however, we use it all the time, is tigacycline plus rabuculistine on sinusobacterium if, if available. Uh, but this is something, like I said, we have to probably consider, okay, uh, the MIC for, for such patients, although sometimes it's, it's, it could be high. Yeah, going with, with uh, probably this is one of the things that I think we did not probably discuss, which is uh, extended diffusion of um, okay, metal venom. This is not really recommended anymore. Uh, clinical trials, there are at least two clinical trials showed not, not benefits of going with higher, higher doses. We used to say that the MIC is probably low. You can go with, with uh, metal venom extended diffusion. However, it should not probably no difference compared to, to monotherapy. Again, uh, like I said, uh, probably three drugs, this is one of the things that's not really explored a lot to go with. Okay, could have seen under seven subacthamoticocycline, this is one of the things probably it could be uh, one of the options. There is one meta analysis, I think, looked into, looked into this, and it showed uh, that it's more beneficial to go with. Okay. Uh, but they did not say, as far as I know, did not reduce mortality. Like there is, there is a clinical benefit. Just want to add something to what already mentioned by Doctor Doctor Fatma. At least in our institution, when we look into into uh, patients with with uh, okay, uh, usually about in an ICU patients, about eighty to eighty five percent is is usually resistant. Okay, so that's something very scary. Hospitalized is almost fifty percent resistant. That's probably uh, also it's by WHO they already okay, in 2013 they already mentioned that uh, carbonyl resistant is is a patient rate to public health. That's why we are discussing it probably today. Usually from our observation, if someone comes from the community, it's usually asymptomatic. The community is very susceptible. However, in in, in hospitals, it's it's opposite. It's usually resistant. Um, and Dr. Fajma, given that you are the Director of Infection Prevention um, and the Antimicrobial Stewardship Program, can you just uh, tell us a little bit about isolation precautions for CRAB? Uh, actually, CRAB is um, one of the causes of hospital-acquired infections and uh, can cause outbreaks, uh, bad outbreaks even. And, uh, uh, it can cause uh, poor outcome for the patient. Uh, it can increase the mortality. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, we put patient in strict contact isolation, and uh, uh, we stress on appropriate use of antibiotics in the uh, ICUs, and the, uh, we stress on hand hygiene, especially if we have uh, such cases. Uh, we increase the observation and uh, the frequency, and um, also uh, stressing on the cleaning process, terminal cleaning of uh, any uh, room that was um, occupied by a patient who's having uh, MDR, Dedicated equipment for each uh, patient in the in the in the unit, and uh, appropriate use of uh, the protective equipments for all the healthcare workers and uh, visitors for the patient. And if the patient needs any uh, any management uh, to visit any other areas, to put them at the end of the list so uh, uh, the terminal cleaning process can can be uh, done properly. We stress uh, on having all the measures um, uh, all the time uh, for such cases. Just want to mention that we need really uh, high-quality studies uh, to confirm the efficacy of the combination treatment uh, that's uh, used uh, uh, usually for such cases. Yeah. 
So again, we distilled a really big topic into a pretty short time frame. but any closing thoughts, final uh, messages that you want to finish out with? Final message is the appropriate use of antimicrobials and also infection control measures. We can beat uh, such uh, organisms and uh, we still need to be optimistic and we need to each uh, help each other and um, uh, to fight this antimicrobial resistant. And we have the lady of antimicrobial resistant, Dr. Rahim Ayer. <laughs> <laughs> and there, here in uh, our country, we're having a big uh, uh, mission of having this um, uh, antimicrobial resistant uh, to have decreased the, 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 the rate. Uh, and it's, it's one of the vision of the Ministry of Health and our public health uh, authority and also in all institutions here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think probably I agree with Dr. Patwa. We need to have more, more studies in our, in our country. Okay, We know the problem. But we need to collaborate more and okay, do more more studies, uh, epidemiological studies, and also clinical uh, clinical uh, trials. Uh, it's uh, it's becoming public health. Uh, okay, so that's something we have to probably consider. One of the things that probably uh, would I did not probably mention, which is one of the new drugs just basically approved. Okay, which is Dermabactam, Salbactam. This is approved in April this year for the treatment. Yeah, for the treatment. Yes. With the treatment of of uh, this is one of the drugs I'd like you to probably look at. Uh, however, uh, when it comes to NDM, okay, NDM uh, drug is not really active. I guess there is another drug. Okay, I forget the name of the drug. Zorubalvin, I think Zorubalvin. Zorubalvin. That was uh, discussed during the ID week. Okay, it's targeting. Okay. It's targeting us like uh, crowd, including NDM. So this is one of the promising tracks. It's in this street where hopefully it will we see it in the market very soon. Thank you. Thank you to Dr. Fatima and Dr. Abdullah for joining us for this episode. So I thought I would wrap up this episode by reinforcing some of the key points and kind of major teaching points related to CRAB. We had a case of a 10-year-old who initially had crab growing from a respiratory sample, but no signs of pneumonia or tracheitis. A key take-home point is that the first step is always ensuring that any culture growing crab really represents true infection and is not colonization. And this is likely going to be particularly true if you are looking at respiratory, urine, or wound cultures. So it may not be very easy to tell when it is a pathogen in an ill patient because perhaps things related to their underlying host status like mechanical ventilation or extensive burns, but look for other signs of infection such as fever, leukocytosis, um, or other changes. Generally, we are going to treat crab infections with high-dose ampicillin sulbactam in combination with at least one other agent. IDSA guidelines and experts would recommend continuing combination therapy with at least two agents until there is a clinical response um, because we really don't have great data on any specific monotherapy. Some of the additional agents that can be used as a component of combination therapy include polymyxin B, minocycline, tigacycline, and cefiterocol. As we discussed in the show, high-dose extended infusion carbapenem therapy has not shown benefit in two clinical trials. We did briefly touch on the mechanisms of carbapenem resistance in Acinetobacter. Production of oxa carbapenemases mediates resistance to beta-lactams, 
but isolates may also produce metallobalactamases and additional serine carbapenemases, such as Acinetobacter baumannae-derived cephalosporinases. Um, we don't totally understand Solbactam resistance, but it does appear to be driven by mutations targeting penicillin binding proteins and beta-lactamase production may also be a contributor. I will just uh, mention to everyone about Solbactam Durlobactam, which is a new agent approved by the US FDA in May of this year, 2023. So this is an exciting new option. Uh, Solbactam is a substrate for both the ADCs, the class C enzymes, and OXA enzymes that are produced by CRAB. And Durlobactam is a potent inhibitor of class A, C, and D enzymes. So this enables us to use lower doses of Solbactam as Solbactam is more likely to successfully reach its penicillin binding protein targets with the protection of Durlobactam. All right, and that wraps us up for this episode on crab. Don't forget to check out the website, febrilepodcast.com, where you can find the consult notes, which are written supplements to the show with links to references, our library of ID infographics, and a link to our merch store. Please reach out if you have any suggestions for future shows or want to be more involved with Febro. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and I'll see you next time.